Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hardison. Tonight, we're going to break down the Patriots' electric 30-27 win over the New York Jets. A little bit of a strong word, maybe, but I am a Cam Newton stand, so we will take what we can get in the year 2020. Also want to go over some of the top waiver wire options this week. You know, I'm going to go over about 10, 11 guys that I'm not necessarily touting all of them. I will be, you know, putting uh, putting my neck out there on the line uh, with some of these guys that, as a uh, good plays moving forward. But uh, otherwise, I just also want to go through some of the top options that maybe Maybe I do disagree with. So uh, try to keep these, you know, around 25, 30 minutes. You can check out the podcast every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And without further ado, let's get after it. Thank you, as always, for checking in. So Patriots. 30 points, Jets 27. It was not an easy win for the Patriots. Seemed like a game that both teams, you know, were better, would probably be better off losing. But on the other side of things, I mean, again, as they were kind of talking about on the broadcast, it's unfair to think that any team would ever actively tank. And in the Patriots side, especially, I mean, look at that Seahawks game, uh, the Bills game, and then even that Broncos game. A couple plays away from potentially being an entirely different team in the win loss record. Can't exactly make those same statements about the Jets, but it is what it is. So in this one, uh, Patriots were able to go down there and kind of strike first in terms of just getting a touchdown. Jets got a field goal first drive, but Cam Newton, nice little read option touchdown. Add another touchdown on the ground later in the game. This dude is on pace for 17 rushing touchdowns right now. I understand the passing hasn't been quite as smooth as we all probably would have hoped for, but you know, not all of that is on Cam. When you kind of see the guys he's throwing to and some of the protection issues at times uh, certainly makes a lot more sense, but Jets did not quit. I mean, they came right back at him. Uh, could have had a touchdown early on to Brashad Perryman in the end zone. It kind of went off his hands, but it also look like it should have been defensive pass interference so we'll give them the benefit of the doubt because otherwise Perryman was absolutely balling came back on their third drive anyway and scored a 50-yard touchdown on a nice downfield dime from Joe Flacco I know you know we hear people talk about Joe Flacco being one of the best deep ball quarterbacks in the league and at least at the end of his Ravens years I mean that was not backed up by any sort of statistical uh, shred of evidence but I will say I mean when we just talk about pure aesthetically pleasing deep balls you know those that teardrop deep ball that goes out of your television screen and then comes back down Flacco is certainly towards the top of the list in that category. But yeah, he kept the Jets moving. You know, they end up having a two-play 77-yard drive to get another touchdown before halftime. Thanks in large part to another deep ball at Brashad Perryman at this time drew a defensive pass interference and then Jamison Crowder had a BEA beautiful 20 yard touchdown pass on a nice little corner route where the safety got over there but Flacco put it right where he needed it to and Crowder had a nice little toe drag to find the end zone so it was 2010 Jets at halftime Patriots came right back in the third quarter and scored on their first possession with a one yard Rex Burkhead rush good reminder everyone that you know while Damian Harris uh, got them down there I mean it ended up being Rex, Rex Burkhead that punched it across the goal line so you know with the term goal line back. It's just one of these things that really varies week to week, and we have seen the Patriots uh, kind of go with Rex Burkhead in the red zone. I mean, Damian Harris should get the majority of these things, but with pretty much any backfield in the entire league, unless I guess the Dolphins and their ever en- never-ending quest to get Jordan Howard 20 touchdowns this year, usually whoever's out there on the field uh, is going to be the guy getting the carry from that one-yard line, or it's just going to be you know whatever play call they have designed there. So just because an offense doesn't get in the five-yard line, uh, just because they do get inside the five-yard line doesn't mean they're going to consistently lean on the same back. We really see that in today's NFL. Jets were able to strike right back though and push their lead back to 10 points. Got a touchdown. Another one to Brashad Perryman. This one was on a filthy move off the line of scrimmage. Look, Brashad Perryman's a big, fast dude. He just, you know, was chopping his feet at the line. Nice little route running release and put, I believe it was JC Jackson on complete roller skates. So Jackson came back and got a nice interception uh, to help set the Patriots up for their ultimate, you know, touchdown and tie the game. But uh, Brashad Perryman can't say enough good things about what he did in this one. Denzel Mims as well had a nice game. Uh, good to see the rookie really picking up some yak. But yeah, 
Patriots end up going down. It looked like uh, the play we are going to have to watch all week was Cam Newton missing Jacoby Myers on a potential 72-yard score. The safety fell down. I mean, it wasn't going to be the easiest throw in the world. It looked like, it looked that way after the safety fell down, but it wasn't one of these situations where Cam knew he was as open as he ended up being. You know, hey, am I making too many excuses for the guy? Sure, but Cam really was accurate throughout most of this game. I mean, he was like 19 for 20, I think, to start. A lot of these were checkdowns, but overall on the year, he has been accurate throwing downfield. Going into this game, he actually was the single most, uh, he had the single highest rate of catchable deep balls on targets downfield among all quarterbacks with at least 10 such passes. So Cam had exactly 10 passes. I realize that this, you know, downfield passing game isn't good no matter what, you know, a stat, stat or two might say, but I uh, just realized that, you know, the separation issues, overall offensive timing, uh, you know, giving him enough time to kind of get set back there. All these things are kind of causing this Patriots passing game to look the way it looks. It's not purely on the arm of number one, but yeah, so Patriots scored with a 157 left in the game. Jets went right back, uh, picked up one quick completion, and then Flacco got sacked, and then uh, threw a Bad incompletion on third down. I mean, look, Flacco really played a nice game. Again, the first touchdown of Rashad Perryman was awesome. The second one to a Crowder was also great. And he was just putting the ball really where he needed to for most of the game. But these last two drives truly were brutal. And the previous one with a deep ball interception where he just overthrew Mims. Not a great ending for Flacco. Patriots came out and nearly did something really dumb. But you know what? It works. So I guess we can't really call it really dumb. Uh, third and one on, on their own 42. Cam decided to sneak it even though they needed to save the timeout. Uh, for the field goal. So they only had eight seconds to, uh, you know, go out there, try to get the ball in a position to get it. And Cam Newton did it. He hit uh, Kobe Myers for a 20-yard gain to get the ball in the New York Jets 33-yard line. And Nick Folk took it home with a 51-yard field goal to win it. So again, Back and forth game. I told myself before this one that, you know, I wasn't going to let myself get too uh, freaked out about Cam Newton's performance for better and for worse, particularly for better just because they're playing the New York Jets. And on the same side of things with the Jets, I think, you know, this offensive explosion, we need to realize that this Patriots defense, you know, is a shell of its former self, particularly with all the injuries and, you know, inactive players they had in this one. So, you know, we're looking at two not so great football teams right here. And again, I get it that the Patriots have been a few plays away from having a much more successful season in the win and uh, loss column. But either way, you know, I don't think we're going to see either of these teams, particularly uh, the New York football Jets out there uh, come January. I'm sure they're already eliminated, if not pretty, pretty darn close at this point. But uh, quickly going through some of the box score numbers mentioned again about Cam, like he had the big miss to Myers, but otherwise extremely accurate. 27 for 35, 274 yards, couldn't get a touchdown through the air, almost had one to Demir Bird, uh, who had a 30, nice 31 yard gain, took a curl uh, with some serious yak. But I mean, just whenever they try to throw deep with Bird, I mean, they showed like the one time they chucked it down there. The dude might be able to fly, but I mean, this guy does, knows nothing about separation, deep ball tracking. I mean, that's what separates a guy like him from a guy like Tyreek Hill, who not only is, you know, the fastest guy in the field a lot of times he's out there, but certainly knows how to play a wide receiver, the position at a high level. But look, this whole passing game was going through Jacoby Myers, and it's wild that he had a 70 yard touchdown, uh, you know, really taken away from him just in terms of not even having a chance to catch the ball because he caught 12 of 14 targets. For for 169 yards on the game. I mean, it was just one, you know, target after another to this guy. We kind of wondered in this offense, could someone really step up uh, in the absence of Julian Edelman and just overall with the way things were looking? It does seem like Myers could be that guy that I'm not going to freak out and call him a weekly wide receiver one or anything like that. But hey, he's looking a lot like the undisputed number one pass game option 
in this offense, and he's really been their only source of consistent production over these past three weeks. So Myers, you know, he's going to be hard to keep out of the top 30 here moving forward. And I know that's not the most ringing endorsement for the guy, but I think, you know, in this waiver wire season, you know, we're kind of scratching the bottom of the barrel at some point. You know, you could certainly do worse than having the Patriots potential number one wide receiver as a guy that, you know, you can help fill in with some of these last final bye weeks or if, uh, you know, worst case uh, scenario strikes with some injuries. So Jacoby Myers, guys, he's been he's been playing well. I mean, he was a preseason all-star in 2019. Didn't exactly do a ton, but uh, he's uh, now at this point, the last three games, he's already has uh, more receiving errors than the Keel Harry has had during his career with the Patriots. So Harry will be back at some point. But I mean, hey, I think we're just going to see kind of more three wide receiver sets at that point. I don't think Myers is going to be leaving the field anytime soon. Uh, with these Patriots running backs, uh, same old story with a three RB situation. Uh, uh, snaps are unofficial at this point, but what we have at the moment, Rex Burkhead finished with 29, Damon Harris 25, and James White just 12. James White had a fumble, but it was really wasn't his fault. I mean, he got the ball on a fourth and one and just got drilled like immediately upon receiving it. So I wouldn't exactly blame him on that, but we really did see them, you know, go Damon Harris, early down guy, Rex Burkhead slasher, and then obvious pass situations like two minute drill stuff was James White. So I really thought, you know, in the absence of Edmund, we see James White get more and more involved, but you know, if you haven't already, he is certainly droppable in uh, leagues of pretty much all shapes and sizes. Uh, Rex Burkhead, you know, found the end zone, 12 carries, 56 yards, also caught three passes. If James White is ever out or even Damian Harris, who suffered a chest injury without Sonny Michelle, that's when we can load up on Rex Burkhead and treat him as a legit borderline RB2. While it remains three backs, he might find the end zone some games like tonight, but it's going to be tough to expect anything uh, in consistent production. As, as we always say on here, we can live with two RB backfield committees, not so much three and four. And finally, Damian Harris 14 carries 71 yards was really starting to look good in the fourth quarter had a physical 21 yard run that I thought was the best of his career and then ripped off eight yards where he broke another tackle but that's when he suffered the chest injury and was ruled questionable uh, at the end of the game so it's better than you know a concussion which it kind of looked like he might have but he was on the field for a long time after he suffered that so not sure of the severity but something to keep an eye on and also we'll see when Sony Michelle comes back so you know good game from Damian Harris but I would note that Sony Michelle has I think just been the better running back this year and he's been in the system longer. I don't think Harris has done enough to necessarily keep that job. We'll see. Hopefully they make it easy on us and give us a, you know, Harris or Michelle active and we can just adjust accordingly and then the other guy will be inactive. But, you know, as we've seen with the Patriots backfield over the years, never exactly know how that situation is going to go. Wouldn't be shocked if all four guys are active and we just have, you know, the worst case scenario on our hands in terms of trying to predict that. So again, 30 points from the Patriots offense. They resembled a real life NFL passing game for most of this game, which was great to see uh, Cam Newton, you know, going to continue to be a borderline RB1 with this sort of insane rushing usage. Again, on pace for 17 rushing scores now. Once they get inside the five-yard line, they just want to feed this dude the ball, uh, trying to just further extending his already NFL record. So, you know, it's Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, and Cam Newton as the top three rushing quarterbacks in the league. I understand Kyler and, you know, even Lamar to, a, to an extent this year have been much better uh, passers in terms of getting the production there. But Cam Newton, it hasn't been pretty. We got to continue to go back to well with this guy as a borderline QB1 at worst. Next week, you know, we're really going to see, uh, you know, how just how uh, low is the passing kind of floor in New England because they got the Ravens coming up. But again, I just think we're going to see enough rushing usage for him to continue to uh, kind of flirt with that top 12, top 13 production more weeks than not. On the Jets side of things, again, just a really great game from Joe Flacco, 18 for 25, 262 yards, three touchdowns and a pick. And I think a lot of it, you know, something that we probably don't give enough uh, just kind of sympathy towards Sam Darnold and this entire kind of Jets passing game too, is just the fact that they've been so banged up uh, throughout the season. I mean, 
Brashad Perryman, when he initially came back, was getting a lot of air yards, but then he got hurt again. He came back in this one, and as we were talking about before, looked absolutely great out there. Caught five of seven targets, 101 yards, two scores. Route running looked good, and truly, over the past three seasons, even with Cleveland to Tampa to the Jets now, and Brashad Perryman's been playing great, just imagine how good Brashad Perryman will be once he gets away from Adam Gase and gets, you know, the usual uh, post-Gase jump that we've seen from everyone else around the league. But uh, all jokes aside, uh, Brashad Perryman playing some great ball. Denzel Mims caught four of eight targets for 62 yards and showed off some real nice yak ability along the way. The interesting surprise of Jameson Crowder only catching, uh, you know, two of two targets for 26 yards and that aforementioned nice uh, 20-yard score where he had the beautiful toe tap. So, look, we've seen throughout this whole season, I mean, this Jets offense seemingly flows to its slot receiver and nobody else. This was the one exception. It sounds like Sam Darnold is in a position to be shut down for the whole year. I expect them to, you know, get back to leaning on Crowder more heavily, but, you know, Prashad Perryman is playing some good ball, and this is now two games with Joe Flacco where he has just absolutely racked up the air yards. So if Flacco's going to stay under center, I really think Perryman might actually be the wide receiver uh, to own in out of the Jets' offense. Look, it's still a low weekly floor, and as great as Perryman has played, he still is in, you know, arguably the single worst offense in the entire league. So I'm not saying Perryman's going to be someone that we're going to be firing up as a top 24 option, but, you know, certainly a boomer bust wide receiver three if we didn't have him there already. Crowder, you know, he's... <laughs> He's been up there in the top five, top six dudes in fantasy points per game. He's just been banged up. He didn't exactly look 100% out there. I mean, he had a nice toe drag, but, you know, I would just wonder if maybe he isn't, uh, you know, quite at full health at this point with this sort of usage. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be trust. It's going to be tough to trust him as that, you know, top 20 wide receiver that he had kind of earned uh, throughout the season. I think we're going to go back to kind of treating him as that wide receiver three. I mean, it's funny with Crowder and, you know, Keelan Cole and some of these guys, they have these great, great games. And finally, right when we get around to, uh, you know, treating them as a top player that they've been performing as. We get, you know, at least a small dud like this. Save the day with the touchdown bias, me in terms of targets, uh, certainly dud. Corey Davis, another guy uh, like that, that comes to mind. So, yeah, I mean, again, this was a fun game. Uh, I think a game that could have been a lot uglier. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, the Jets remain the favorite to uh, be the, you know, get that number one pick and hopefully win the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes. I was having some fun on the uh, old Twitter sphere. I just did a poll question about, you know, if you yourself were Trevor Lawrence, who would you rather? you know, get the number one pick, the New York Jets or the Jacksonville Jaguars. Best answer I heard, I think it makes the most sense, Jacksonville Jaguars, because there's no state income tax in Florida. Go get that money. From a team standpoint, I think you can have, you know, a little bit more of a debate about it. I understand DJ Chark, LaVisca Chenault, James Robinson, you got some talent there, but you know, who knows with this coaching staff? I mean, it sure seems like Gase and Marone are going to be goners before too long. So if, uh, you know, a really good offensive mind, a Joe Brady type guy goes to one of these teams, they'd probably be the favorite because while the Jets, you know, aren't exactly, uh, I I would say the Jaguars have a better skill position group uh, than the Jets. I mean, Perryman, Mims, Crowder, they got some guys there and it's not like the Jaguars skill position players are just that overwhelmingly good. So I think it is a bit more of a question uh, then, you know, some people make it out to be. It's just like, oh, why would you ever want to go to the Jets? You know, New York media, if you're playing well, uh, can be uh, not can, can be pretty solid. Uh, obviously, when you're not playing well, it's not quite so solid. But I do think it is an interesting debate that I'm sure we will not uh, be hearing the last of uh, as we get into, you know, the final months of the season and the true tanking for Trevor begins. So Patriots 30, Jets 27. Good stuff there. Before we get to our waiver wire uh, section, I do want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors at Monkey Knife Fight. All first time deposit that monkey knife fight that put at least 20 bucks in their account while using promo code pff will receive a free pff 
PFF Edge annual subscription. That's a $40 value for just 20 bucks, and you'll get the opportunity to turn that 20 bucks into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest growing fantasy sports sites in the USA and Monkey Knife Fight. So go to Monkey Knife Fight, deposit your 20 bucks with promo code PFF today to receive your free PFF Edge annual subscription. On to the waiver wire, everybody. And look, if there's some of these guys that you just roll your eyes at and you say, Ian, he's not even on the waiver wire in half these leagues. Why are you wasting my time on this? I'll try to be brief on it, but I just want to point out some of these names as, you know, guys to get. Uh, if you do happen to be in one of these home leagues with your friends who aren't paying that much attention, you say, how is that guy out there? Scoop him up because I'm telling you to do so right now. So without further ado, uh, here they are. A couple tight ends that I think are in this category. Austin Hooper and Dallas Goddard. Hooper's probably been cut because he's been missing time, but uh, Coach Kevin Stefanski has confirmed that Hooper is fully expecting to be back this week following the Browns bye. So before he was before he got hurt, I mean, he had 7, 10, and then 6 targets in his last 3 games with at least 5 catches in each. So I, I still don't think he's going to be the volume hog we saw in the Falcons uh, last season, but he certainly has earned you know that borderline tight end 1 treatment at worst because, I mean, he has looked good when he's been healthy uh, you know, with the appendix injury. It's something that seemingly, I mean, I've never had the injury myself, but seemingly, you know, not like a nagging ankle or knee that, you know, we would expect a big time reduced performance. Seems like when he'll be ready to go, he'll be ready to take on the usual full-time role you know I'm comfortable ranking him as a legit top 12 option uh, this weekend moving forward and also just Dallas Goddard with the Eagles coming off the buy I'm not sure if people you know saw that disappointing pre-buy performance and gave up on the guy but no everybody Dallas Goddard I think I'm gonna have ranked inside my top eight tight ends this week you know Richard Rodgers did his thing but we've seen you know two this is his third year in the league I believe uh, two and a half years of evidence of Dallas Goddard uh, functioning as one of the best tight ends in the league when he gets the opportunity so we've always you know wondered what he could do if Zach Ertz missed time we're about to find out i know the eagles passing game hasn't been uh you know as great or as even consistent as we've seen in past years but i think goddard has the talent and wentz has at least you know enough good plays in him to make this work in a major way in fantasy land uh, hopefully he did not cut Mike Davis because it looks like Christian McCaffrey is going to be a bit of a game time decision with the, with his shoulder injury and you know we've been kind of mocking uh, just the reality that McCaffrey could be playing a reduced role okay I'm seeing rib and shoulder injuries either way McCaffrey's banged up and these are the sort of injuries that are a little bit troubling for a running back's chances at running between the tackles I mean it seems like more of a pain threshold thing uh, when you see running backs with these types of injuries not so much an ankle or hamstring where they just literally can't run more of an issue of you know how many hits we want to expose them to between the tackles so we saw McCaffrey you know dominate usage uh, last week 71% snaps 18 carries 10 targets they kept Mike Davis a lot more involved in the passing game I wonder if that you know plays out the same way uh, this week you know with McCaffrey being as banged up as he is so they got the Buccaneers that is worst case scenario in terms of trying to run the ball in the teeth of them so I think if McCaffrey's active it's going to be you know a little bit tough to trust Mike Davis because uh, his best case scenario would be an increase in rushing attempts but he's looking at one the worst case scenarios in terms of defenses to be going up against you know and trying to rely on that rushing production so if McCaffrey's out, okay, we're back to firing up Mike Davis as a you know legit RB1. I understand the last few weeks from McCaffrey out weren't great, but I think in this matchup, I mean, he had eight catches for 74 yards against the Buccaneers in week two on just 24 snaps. So I get it. A lot of that was just pure mop-up mop time. It was all pure mop-up time. But, you know, again, that receiving role, that's what we want. Teddy Bridgewater fed his backs 16 targets last week. So I'm not saying Mike Davis should be projected for 16 targets last week, but, you know, we really have seen all year, even with Teddy 
not leaning on the RB check down quite as much as Kyle Allen did. You know, it is still just a, just a heavy, heavy part of this offense. Mike Davis has been a hashtag good running back all year. I think uh, with that receiving usage, uh, it'll be enough to make up for the bad matchup. But again, if McCaffrey is active, I am not going to start Mike Davis unless we have, uh, you know, just full on knowledge that it's going to be a, you know, emergency only situation or something for McCaffrey. So uh, tentatively, you know, if both guys are healthy, I'll have McCaffrey ranked as, you know, maybe more of an RB five or six if we have, you know, reason to believe there could be uh, limited snaps. And by that, I mean overall five or six because I don't necessarily believe uh, some of the reports we've been getting out there on him. But uh, if he isn't, if he ends up being out, yeah, Mike Davis, RB one. In terms of just fab or waivers, look, he's a great guy to have either way. And to see McCaffrey banged up uh, could certainly get more banged up. So Mike Davis is the exact type of guy you want on your bench. You know, I, I would say, like, don't blow all your fab on him. But, hey, pretty good guy to have out there. And even if we get one week out of him, uh, that could be useful. So don't don't go too crazy on it. But just realize that Mike Davis uh, is someone that you should not be cutting. And if you can see him out there, go get him. Uh, Curtis Samuel, another Carolina Panther. So, yeah, McCaffrey's going to be out. I mean, that could be more targets for Curtis Samuel. Let's just put a little context into what kind of made his big uh, Week 9 game happen. Teddy Bridgewater had a season high, 49 pass attempts, and also a season low, 4.4-yard average target death. Hence, we had DJ Moore only getting two targets, I believe, and Curtis Samuel uh, you know, reaching his season high in the marks. So, you know, look, he's had multiple rush attempts in all but two games this year. He's had at least five targets in all but three games, and we're looking at five to eight opportunities per week, which is fine, but again, this is a very crowded offense that, as we're seeing, when you add Christian McCaffrey and his, you know, just uh, just huge kind of receiving workload into the picture, it becomes a lot harder to project who's going to be leading it week to week. So, hey, it was Curtis Samuel last week, but do we really think DJ Moore is just going to become this one or two target per week guy I don't think so either so Robbie Anderson you know remains kind of just the overall highest floor wide receiver one in the offense but I do continue to see uh, DJ Moore winning out in terms of a weekly just fancy ceiling looks Curtis Samuels looks serviceable flex flex guy and you can do far worse than someone that's going to be flirting with you know eight uh, combined carries and targets per game but this is just a very crowded offense and you know a wide receiver that's probably going to be a number four uh, target in it more weeks than not not someone that I would be you know looking to break the bank on and expect consistent uh, production out of this pains me I love Curtis Samuel as you know Columbus Ohio lifer love my Buckeyes and I think uh, he's been one of these guys uh, throughout the years that has uh, you know like last year just benefit did not benefit at all the <laughs> opposite of what I was trying to say uh, with Kyle Allen being under center. I mean, you know, just three minute highlight clip pretty much of missed opportunities of uh, a Curtis Samuel being open deep and not having the ball put on him. And this low eight out slot role that we were hoping he would get finally came to fruition last week. I'm just not confident, you know, after seeing the first nine weeks of the season that, you know, the one single game that happened to also be when Teddy had a season high, uh, you know, uh, pass attempt number. I just don't think that's going to be the case more weeks and not moving forward. Uh, another guy that I just, you know, cannot say enough nice things about on social media more times than not is Duke Johnson. If you don't know, Duke Johnson is the U's all-time leading rusher. He is not a scat back. He actually has a higher BMI than David Johnson, and he has missed two games during his entire career since entering the league uh, due to injury. So he can hold up. He's good enough to run between the tackles. Stop that narrative, everyone. 68 running backs have at least 300 carries since Duke entered the league in 2015. Duke is tied for 24th in yards per carry, tied for 19th in yards after contact per rush, tied for 7th in missed force tackles per rush, 33rd in PFF rushing grade. Look, I'm not going to sit here and say that you know Duke is Saquon Barkley between the tackles but when we got JD freaking McKissick coming out here and playing 88% snaps you want to tell me that Duke Johnson who was third in the NFL in yards per touch last year can't do something with 15 or 20 touches per game last week was the first time ever that Duke didn't ha- that Duke finally got at least 20 touches in a game because Hugh Jackson and Bill O'Brien have finally you know had their NFL jobs taken away so 
with Duke. Do we trust him to continue to get this role moving forward? Not exactly. I don't think he's going to play, you know, the 81% snaps that he did last week again. I don't think it's going to be the exact David Johnson role. As we've seen around the league, it's very tough to project these backup RBs into immediate workload roles. And with Duke, we do have, you know, five years of evidence of, yes, him looking like he can handle a three-down role, but also coaching staffs not giving him the three-down role. Regardless of how, you know, incompetent those coaching staffs might have been, and, you know, regardless of them being gone now, it still is a little bit troubling. You know, CJ Precise is on the practice squad. Scotty Phillips is someone who their running back coach uh, previously said if one of the Johnsons went down, he would be getting some carries. So I don't think, you know, like we saw Chase Edmonds last week play 95% of the Cardinals offensive snaps. I don't see that happening, but I do think he gets 15 plus touches. And as we saw, you know, Miles Sanders was out the last few weeks and Boston Scott got this type of 15 to 20 touch roll. That's RB2 level. So I do plan on having Duke Johnson as a top 20 option this week if David Johnson is out. You know, again, if you need, if it's a huge week for you and you really want to just blow through that remaining fab, I get it. But it's a concussion for David Johnson. We don't know the severity, but there is, you know, a decent chance that he could be back, if not this week, then next week. So it doesn't seem like a long-term injury. We just don't know the concussions. But, uh, you know, it doesn't seem to me like a situation where we should be expecting Duke to take over for more uh, than just week 10. But, hey, you know, it's it's, it's week 10. You know, we got to win these games. We got to make the fantasy playoffs. So uh, if you're really hurting for a running back this week, Duke Johnson can certainly be your guy. Moving on to the Chargers. So, Kalen Balaz, you know, the latest guy, just ball the hell out as soon as they get away from Adam Gase. We'll just note that this backfield situation has been so fluid all season, and particularly since Austin Eckler went down. Troy Main Pope did not practice all week with a concussion. And look, Joshua Kelly still led the way in, uh, you know, a snap percentage uh, last week. So, Ballage, hey, he looked good last week. Seriously, I mean, I'm not trying to hate on the guy and, you know, bring up his Dolphin stats as a reason not to play him right now. But it is, it is not a good matchup against the Miami defense. We talked about this on the Monday podcast a little bit, but you know, we got to be careful about confusing quote unquote bad run defenses uh, with really good defenses that just focus more on the past. Uh, Miami falls firmly into the latter category. And, you know, we, again, we just saw Chase Edmonds have the absolute biggest workload we could have hoped, you know, best case scenario hope for and Miami was able to shut him down with that so not trying to get into a two or three back committee here I am fine passing on pretty much all these Chargers backs I just think that you know who knows they could bring in someone else no one has cemented this not even Joshua Kelly uh, just seems like a situation where uh, Justin Jackson who knows how bad this knee injury is if he's back there he'll probably be leading but we don't know how healthy he is I think he should just pass all the way around focus on these receiving options and Justin Herbert with the Chargers Jalen Rager is one of these guys that, again, should be owned in most leagues, but if not, go get him. He's caught 8 of 14 targets for 112 yards and a score this season. I know Wentz was brutal last time we saw him against the Cowboys. There is a floor for everyone in this, you know, garbage can of the of a division that we call the NFC East, but look, we got Fulgham, Jeffrey, and Rager. Seemingly, that would be the big three, but maybe Greg Ward kind of stays as the slot guy. Either way, look, they're not going to have Rager, their first-round pick, be the guy that ends up uh, being out there on the bench, but I don't know how they sit down Travis Fulgham either. I mean, all the credit in the world to what Fulgham has done. Only Devontae Adams, Justin Jefferson, Julio Jones, George Kittle, and Alvin Kamara have averaged more yards per route run than Travis Fulgham this season. Absolute madness. But uh, yeah, so I would hope, you know, if I was running the Eagles, which why would I ever be running the Eagles? Who knows? But in this fairy tale scenario, I would want Rager on the outside, Jeffrey on the outside. Okay, I guess I wouldn't want Jeffrey, but I think they will put him on the outside and then make Fulgham your big slot. We have seen Fulgham get more, uh, you know, reps in the slot than these other guys. I love 
love Greg Ward going back to his days in the AAF, but I just don't think, uh, you know, he's a guy you need to have out there on the field. So let me rephrase that. I think the Eagles will put Jeffrey on one side and Rager on the other side. I'm not sure who wins out between Fulgham and Ward. I really hope it's Fulgham because he's been playing so well and truly been their best guy. But, you know, I just worry about them making these big sweeping changes and having Jeffrey back, uh, you know, wouldn't be shocked that they take more into account what he achieved over the years, uh, you know, with Fulgham. So this week, I'm probably going to have Fulgham, you know, more in kind of that wide receiver three range as opposed to that weekly wide receiver two uh, that he kind of earned before the bye. Rager's still going to be a boomer bust wide receiver three, but, you know, it's only going to take one week if he has a really big game before he's at the top of uh, these sort of waiver wire lists. So go get him now uh, before people remember how talented this rookie is. Looking at these uh, quarterbacks, if you need a streaming option this week, uh, I think I would take Drew Locke over uh, Mr. Tua just because, look, Drew Locke, we know that even when things go bad, they can come back and put up numbers. We've seen that in consecutive weeks. Uh, Broncos, you know, seemingly have no interest in benching this guy. And why would they? You know, they're not going to win anything this year. It's not like uh, they're the Washington football team that is just so obsessed with, uh, you know, following a good story that they're not even giving their, you know, young quarterback a chance to play. So Drew Locke's going to keep getting his chances. And we've seen him, you know, show a high floor. He, uh, high, I'm sorry, low floor, high ceiling. He is, he is uh, you know, among 49 quarterbacks with at least 100 dropbacks over the past two years. He's 19th in big time throw rate, but he's 40th in turnover rate. I mean, truly, Jameis Winston, AFC West right here, everybody. And we are finally starting to see a Jameis-esque fantasy ceiling as well uh, over these past three weeks. So, you know, I understand with Drew Locke, you know, there's a wide range of weekly outcomes, but I think I want that wide range of weekly outcomes if I'm just going with the streamer option because Tua, look, much better performance in week nine. We actually saw some mobility. 35 rushing yards and he was pushing the ball downfield more and he's facing the Chargers defense that you know could again be without Joey Bosa and we've just seen shootout after shootout Chargers last five matchups of 69 points 57 points 68 points 61 points and 57 points so I get the allure of you know going back to Tua in this spot but again I think for me you look at Tua over these past two weeks, he's been able to play with the lead. He's had his defense doing their thing, and we just haven't seen him come back yet. Locke, we at least know that if things go south, he can continue to throw, continue to put up uh, fantasy points, and kind of be that garbage time hero uh, that sometimes we need in fantasy land. So not sure Tua has that in his range of outcomes yet. It's great that we saw Tua you know, step up and not just be an atrocious quarterback like he was in his uh, you know, season and NFL debut. Uh, but yeah, give me Drew Locke over Tua this week and this week only. Uh, some running back so with the Bears David Montgomery's in the concussion protocol situation again where we got to be careful you know assuming that any of these guys are going to have a prolonged role and this situation really is a mess you know my guy Cordero Patterson they continue to treat him you know as more of just a scat back number two and look I get it even though I am president of the Cordero Patterson fan club I understand that you know you shouldn't be running this guy between the tackles 15 times a game that's not a recipe for success but you know Ryan Nall isn't going to be the guy taking over either he only has two career carries Artavis Pierce has zero career carries Lamar Miller is the answer here, everyone. Now, I'm not sure if it's the answer to, you know, an actual RB2 or if it's the answer to a freaking dud. So it's a concussion with uh, Montgomery. We don't know how long he's going to be out, but I would project Lamar Miller to lead this backfield and potentially get uh, double digit touches throughout the absence of Montgomery. And again, this is what we got to talk about with, you know, the Giants and like, so the Giants this year when Saquon went out, a lot of people wanted to be Deion Lewis, but Wayne Gallman, who was a healthy scratch, and then Devontae Freeman, who they brought in, were better set to be their early down role. With the Bengals, I thought that would happen. Giovanni Bernard ended up being the guy, though, and he, uh, he continued to get it. So not every single backfield is created equal, but, you know, Ryan Nall and Artavis Pierce, come on. I do think, you know, why would they bring Lamar Miller in if they weren't going to use him in this type of situation? He wasn't active last week. That's why he wasn't used. I would expect him to be active moving forward, and again, I would project him to 
lead the way in touches. This is the second worst offensive line in the league, though, in yards before contact. I know everyone's always hating on David Montgomery. He's tied with Dalvin Cook for the most total broken tackles at the running back position this year. So obviously, you know, Dalvin a little bit more capable, just a little bit more capable at, you know, breaking off some big runs after he breaks those tackles. But uh, again, this is not, you know, a fantasy friendly situation to walk into. Uh, it's kind of like the Giants when Saquon Barkley went out where, you know, Saquon couldn't do it. Montgomery couldn't do it. Uh, don't be so sure that Lamar Miller can do it. Uh, again, it's such a fluid situation. I wouldn't use a ton of fab on Lamar, but I do think that, you know, if you're desperate for RBs, Duke Johnson's gone. Uh, Lamar Miller could be the guy to scoop this week. With the Seahawks, I gotta give a shout out to Matt Kelly, aka the Podfather boss over there at Player Profiler. Wrote it, wrote it on a road. I've had him on the pod uh, before, but he noted about David Moore being the top handcuff at the wide receiver position. I'm gonna have to agree. You know, I've been giving Miko Harbin that honor uh, throughout the offseason and even into this year. But as we've seen with these freaking snap rates and Byron Pringle and Demarcus Robinson, uh, certainly remains up in the air there. With Seattle, I mean, David Moore, when he can get opportunities, great things happen. Russ is, you know, very happy to throw the ball down to him. It's not just this year. I mean, going into this year, I did an article on the most underused player on every team. David Moore was that guy. So I don't know when Josh Gordon could be coming back. I hope he gets back soon. You know, weed is tight. Doesn't need to be a freaking reason to keep a guy off the field as much as it has Josh Gordon. But for now, David Moore, you know, exact type of guy you should scoop up to have at the end of your bench because, hey, you're in an offense with Russell Wilson. If you need the spot start on him, you at least have, you know, a long touchdown in your, in your potential range of outcomes. And if DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett gets injured, we're talking about a legit, you know, upside wide receiver three immediately. So good guy to stash at the end of your bench, but don't go crazy because, again, uh, he's not going to be more than a boomer bust wide receiver four as long as these guys stay healthy. Three more for you here. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. So DeAndre Washington, I think this Miami backfield kind of falls into the same group as the Chargers for me. Just kind of stay away because we got, you know, Washington, they flipped a 6-4 and they kind of got seventh back. But, you know, Jordan Howard, they continue to feed him and his, uh, you know, tally on the season. 28 carries, 33 yards, four touchdowns. Absolutely ridiculous stuff there. Uh, and something named Salvin Ahmed went seven carries for 38 yards last week. We also had seventh-round pick Malcolm Perry uh, not getting a touch on 20. 23 snaps. So clearly no one knows what's going on here in Miami. Maybe Ahmed continues to, you know, take this quote unquote momentum and go away with it. But I think ultimately we see three or four backs involved on a weekly basis, including Patrick Laird, uh, you know, uh, while Miles Gaskin remains sidelined. I don't, I don't see any of them providing, you know, consistent fantasy value anytime soon. Please stay away. Uh, Alan Lazard seems to be on the verge of returning. Look, he had four catches for 63 yards in the score, three catches, 45 yards, and then six catches for 146 yards in the score. Uh, in his only game without Devontae Adams earlier this season. So, you know, MVS had the two touchdown game last week, but he cemented that in that field stretcher role. I think Lazard is the one that could be the true number two option and actually emerge as, you know, an upside wide receiver three more weeks than not. So like Jalen Rager, uh, they must have forgot about Alan Lazard because I think uh, he could give us some usable weeks here moving forward. Last guy I want to talk about is J.D. McKissick. So shout out uh, Lord Reeves, Rich Rebar, for noting Antonio Gibson has one Freaking one touch on third down all season. I don't get it. You don't get it. Why not give your great player the ball? Well, maybe because they want to protect Alex Smith with J.D. McKissick. This is an actual narrative going around that they need J.D. McKissick out there to protect Alex Smith. What does that even mean? Pass protection? The guy is going out and catching targets. Do you just want someone out there that Alex can immediately flip the ball down to so he doesn't get hurt? I mean, what is the point of having Alex Smith on the field if you are so, you know, up and down about it that you feel the 
need to keep J.D. McKissick on the field the entire game. Only Chase Edmonds played more snaps last week than J.D. McKissick at the RB position. Somehow, in this entire offseason, the Washington football team, their big, you know, coming to just their big coming to moment is that J.D. McKissick now needs to be one of the most featured running backs in the NFL. It's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, right now, this is the version of this Washington offense. Just, I feel like the whole media, and I realize I'm part of the media, but everything is being, everyone's just afraid to say anything bad about Washington because of how great of a story Alex Smith is coming back is. He'll win the comeback player of the year. That's great. This guy has checked the ball down on 9 of 50 throws this year. That 18% rate is literally double any other QB with at least 100 pass attempts. His average target depth last week was the lowest single game mark in the entire league this season. So... You go back since week four, only Alvin Kamara has more targets than J.D. McKissick. So I don't get it. And you can say that, oh, Alex Smith played great other than the three interceptions that he threw. Yeah, you know, you had a great day at work other than those three clients you pissed off in that meeting you blew up. I mean, we can't just take away a player's bad plays and say he played good. It's the same problem when you take away a dude's 50-yard touchdown and say he averaged, you know, two yards per carry otherwise. So I'm not buying that. Okay, he threw a touchdown on Terry McLaurin. That was a hospital ball that probably should have been intercepted. Again, Great story, Alex. I understand it. And it's it's a great accomplishment. But, you know, for the Washington football team to seriously look at all of us and say that Smith gives them a better chance to win than Dwayne Haskins, I think is absurd. And, okay, even if you truly believe that, is that small chance to maybe have a better chance of winning and what doing what, come on, they're not going to do anything in a contention this year. So you're taking, let's let's pretend that, okay, Alex Smith is maybe a couple of fractions of percentage better than Dwayne Haskins right now. You really think putting this version of Alex Smith out there instead of trying to find out either what you have in Dwayne Haskins or if you can maybe showcase him to get someone to trade for this young QB, like how is that scenario not more appealing? So I understand there's some, you know, behind the scenes stuff with Haskins apparently not being the best teammate or not showing up and all this, but okay, then get him out of there. I just don't get the point with continuing to go back to well with Smith. So, you know, excuse me for going off on that tangent when we're talking about J.D. McKissick, but they're intertwined because, you know, Smith seems to want nothing more to do than to throw McKissick the ball. So, again, only Alvin Kamara has more targets among RBs than McKissick since week four. Uh, you know, it's a somewhat arbitrary split. I get it, but just know they are force-feeding McKissick the ball. Should they be force-feeding Gibson the ball? Absolutely. He's been better in pretty much every officially metric and just broken tackle metric you want to look at this year. But, you know what, we got start unfortunately putting uh, McKissick in the top 30 fantasy options as long as Alex Smith uh, stays under center so that's gonna do it for me everyone thank you as always for listening to the PFF fantasy football podcast again Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday Friday I'm always sending out the links in the morning from my Twitter at iHeart it's I-H-A-R-T-I-T-Z don't forget about the Z it gets weird in a fast it gets weird in a hurry otherwise so thank you again for tuning in I'm Ian Hart this has been the PFF fantasy football podcast and until next time take care